Well, uh, this week we've got two people on as a guest. We have four person, four person uh, episode here. Why don't you introduce yourself, two guests? You can, however you want to do. If you want to battle it out, do rock paper scissors, whatever. Figure out which order you want to go in. Let's see what happens. All right. So I guess I'll go first. Uh, this is James Maud, the product manager for Concourse here in Toronto. Uh, I work with Wal Murphy who like, can introduce himself. <laughs> um, the product director for Pivotal R&D. Um, one of my focuses is Concourse here in Toronto as well. And, and is that, uh, like, like what, what's, what's going on up in Toronto at the moment? What, what season is it? You know, like, you got to, I mean, it's obviously you got Halloween and things like that, but, like, what, uh, what do people do up there now? Um, it's, like a, it's, like, fluctuating between spring and winter. Yeah. Mm. Honestly, my favorite time of year, it's uh, 10, degree, 10 to 15 degrees Celsius. It's jacket weather. Um, but, you know, it's still nice and sunny. The grime of the November rains haven't come down yet. So, you know, try to enjoy the outdoors while you can before the slush sets in. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like the ideal of how life is supposed to be that I got from all those John Hughes movies in the 80s. <laughs> like, like that's, that sounds nice. There weren't a lot of movies filmed down here in Texas. It wasn't that uh, that, <laughs> that gritty. So I forget. Do y'all have like do y'all have like those sky bridges and tunnels and stuff up there? Like, we uh, have an extensive underground network. Yeah, um, I don't know if this is true, but I heard <laughs> the second largest um, indoor network of like walkway paths. Mm-hmm. I think it's second to some American cities. So I'm not too sure. Someone can call me out on that. Um, but yeah, in the winters, you can basically make it, for, make it from the main train station to our office with only a few minutes of uh, braving the outdoors. So now, now what, wow. what's like what's like the social culture of those tunnels? Is it is it sort of like you're not supposed to acknowledge other people exist, or do you smile at people? <laughs> like how does how does it work out? It's like lemmings and people say sorry. Yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> sorry. It's kind of like our own highway because like a lot, there's like a huge economy, underground economy of coffee shops and convenience stores. Mm. So if you want to make an exit, you got to, you got to like do lane, lane changes, do a little shoulder check, make sure uh, you're not, you're not stepping in front of someone if yeah. you're trying to make it to Timmy's. You use, wow. the, use the uh, parapetetic blinkers as it were. That's that's good. So now now last question before we get to whatever our ostensible topics are. Like is uh, are the co- is the coffee down there good? Do you have the thing oh, where yeah. it's like good coffee down there or is it just like, you know, coffee coffee? Oh no, we we have we're I, I as an office, we are, we are very proud of our coffee selection. Mm. We've chosen probably at least two of the top 5 coffee snobs in uh in Toronto. <laughs> Toronto. Uh, I see. It's arguably better than the offerings you have in San Francisco. And oh, that's impressive. I know. Shots fired. Uh, Blue Bottle, watch it. Yeah. Well, um, they, they, it's Blue, not New York. Blue Bottle has like, many I, feel, I feel like Blue Bottle has podcast ads now, so they're definitely mainstream. So maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe it, all, all success in coffee, it, it leaves room for new entrants to come and try new things. So I said that was the last question, but now, now actually, since you professed your coffee snobbery, or intelligence. So what, what exactly is a piccolo? What is that? The cortado that you get to leave with. <laughs> <laughs> a cortado that, okay, that's fair. At a lot of, uh, at most, I would say at a lot of coffee places worth their dime, there are certain drinks that you're not supposed to put in a paper cup. Mm. Uh, they reduce the flavor <clears throat> nodes and everything else. Cortado is one of those. 
Um, so a lot of places will not let you give a Cortado to go. But a piccolo is a clever way to ask for a, pic- a Cortado to go. Yeah. Mm, that's an unexpected answer. I like that. That's, uh, <laughs> that's good. I, I was just reviewing uh, someone's, someone's notes for a Spring One platform talk that was basically like, um, at the management layer, here's all sorts of like um, uh, helpfully devious ways to get around management stuff. And I, and I feel like that's the answer you just gave there is like, I would like to take this drink out of the coffee shop, but I have to trick the whole ecosystem into this being an okay thing to do. So I'll rename it, which, which I think there's probably a lot to learn there for doing uh, the old digital transformation. Well, we have uh, we have some news items to go through, then we'll, we'll get back to our, our, uh, our, our guests. Of course, if you all have any uh, input beyond, uh, you know, ways to get a cortada out of a coffee shop about what we talk about, feel free to chime in. But I think the first item, I, I, guess, uh, I guess I saw a lot of write-ups about this. All, all of the, uh, the public cloud stuff, according to the numbers, seems to be going uh, rip-roaring good. I was thinking, I was reading through the earning stuff of last week and thinking like, oh, I should, I should have gotten a time machine and invested in those companies. That, that seems like a, a good idea. But uh, yeah, the, the results seem pretty good. I think, if I remember, wasn't there some big uh, benchmark that, that Google was approaching? There was some article that they're, uh, they're about to reach some new run rate on, on their, their public cloud spend. I think it was Microsoft who was hitting Not the spend, $20 billion dollar yeah. run rate. And then uh, Google still doesn't break out their cloud revenue. So you're still guessing as to like other buckets. So mm. they, growth still seems good. Microsoft had Really good Azure growth. It's funny, they they still bunch it in with some other stuff as well in some areas. So you wonder, is Azure kind of lifting up some other kind of flatter server revenues and things like that? But Microsoft did great. Amazon did great. Like Bezos is the richest person on the planet now, again, so good for him. But, uh, you know, the growth rates are a little different. I think Microsoft's growing a little faster, but I think Amazon is still five times bigger than the next four or five cloud providers combined. So all of this stuff is scale related, but most importantly, everybody's making, uh, or the big three are making lots of money in cloud. Yeah, lots of usage. That that seems to be, uh, you know, when I go gallivanting about, I, I think I think pretty solidly those are the three that come up nowadays. Like I was, I was in uh, I was in D.C. last week, and there there was there was a fair amount of consideration. I mean, it was nice talk, hearing about various agencies who actually. Uh, want to use public cloud and are, are intent on it, which I think is a pretty big change since, I don't know, two or three years ago where, you know, uh, no one in, in government seemed to want to move to public cloud and in, in mass, if you will. But, uh, yep, those, those are the three that people tend to cycle through. So then over in Microsoft land, they have, uh, I, I guess we didn't cover this last time, but they, they, uh, they have a, a, a Kubernetes service as well. So everyone's got it. That's right. Hot off the press. Yeah, they did this last week. Uh, I mean, and they did the K too. So clearly, mm. you know, it's it's the Azure Container Service with a K. So that's a that's a thing now. So yeah, everybody's doing some sort of cluster somewhere, which is interesting. And hopefully, the conversation continues to go down to though, what is still the right way to use these things? What mm. is the smart things to put inside? Let's just not. I don't know, move on to the next shiny thing and necessarily create ourselves a bunch of technical debt we're all going to deal with in two more years. But mm. hey, you know, clearly uh, popular stuff after you and I talked last I mean, week. I mean, that, that scenario problems. you described, I mean, surely, I mean, that never happens, right? That's That, seem, that no, seems like a different. pattern that us in the tech industry could easily break out of. We'll, Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll be fine. 
<laughs> this time it's different is the t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then I didn't look at the, uh, I, I saw this uh, GitHub contributor thing floating around, but I didn't look at it. So now here we are. What's, what's, what's in it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was some analysis of kind of which companies are contributing the most to open source. And, you know, it's just kind of surprising, I guess, to some who may not be as aware of Pivotal, but, you know, and then James Governor at Red Monk also did some analysis. But, you know, like Pivotal contributes as much to open source as IBM and significantly more than companies like Amazon and others. So great to see, you know, Microsoft, Google, others leading the pack there. But, you know, and the methodology is not perfect. You know, people could be submitting using their their personal accounts and it's not representing the company or this or that. So it's not going to be perfect, but there's still a clear indicator that, you know, companies like Pivotal are investing a lot in open source and other companies are doing some, but maybe not as much given they're, they're much larger size than us. So, so let me ask all three of you this. I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, you know, as I'm fond of saying, I'm good at slides. So I'm a little bit out of the, at least I like to think I am. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm a little bit out of the coding thing. But like, what is, what, how would you describe the currency of GitHub stars? Like, like, what is that? Like, how does that, what, what, how is it a good <laughs> thing or a bad thing? Or like, what do you do with that? I mean, is it, let, uh, let me, is it, is it like as bad as a LinkedIn endorsement thing? Or is it somehow better? <laughs> Uh, no, no, it's not quite that bad. I mean, uh, <laughs> stars, I think, are useful as like a validation of like, hey, pe people want to keep track of my project. So, I mean, is it worthwhile to track your rising stars over time? Probably not. Uh, have we done that? Maybe. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> right. you know, at the end of the day, it's a number and like it's up to you whether or not you want to track that number. And uh, short of some drastic like unstarring event, uh, we don't really pay attention to uh, stars on, mm. on a track. An unstarring um, event. I like that. Yeah. That's that sounds like something from a uh, some part of like a Bruce Sterling or William Gibson book that they decided to delete. There's a short story about an unstarring event or a really <laughs> bad Black Mirror episode. Yeah, um, it, it is a good hint though if you see something with uh, not a lot of stars to unpack it to see like wait a second like how old or how big is this project and like. It's a good cue to actually see if you need to dive deeper hmm. um, into the project if you want to if you actually want to truly commit to something. Yeah, like Ryan Morgan, uh, who heads up uh, Spring for us um, from mentoring perspective, has like a theory around like it's an indirect correlation, but maybe not a good one. In that, it matters to a point when you're really small to make sure that's growing, but that, what you want to also make sure over time is like your ratio of people who are actually contributing and whether that's writing code or just participating in like getting issue comments and everything else. In theory, as your stars go up, hopefully that grows at least the, or maintains the same percentage. Um, but I think it's really easy to get, I think to Kote's point, it's really easy to get kind of um, tied to like Reddit upvotes or it indicates something happened a lot. Like there may have been a good blog post or something that generated people to go yeah. and start that repo. But if you're not getting that actual follow-up um, and commitment back to the community, then it becomes almost like a smell. Mm. Oh, smell. You know, when I first started at Red Monk a while ago, I wrote this paper called The Smells of Agile. But, you know, I, I know what a smell is. That's, uh, <laughs> sorry, I got distracted. There was a deer in the street, which is really odd. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, that, that's good input. Maybe I should go figure out how GitHub works. Do, do a, a pull <laughs> request. GitHub stars... Is just as relevant to the success of your community as velocity is to predicting what's going to happen in your agile working team. 
Oh, no, that's good. That's good. It 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 can be a po- it it's likely that it's a positive indicator, but you shouldn't assume that it is. You should check in right. on it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Huh. All right. Well, uh, you know, uh there there's also some Neo4j news. What's that, Richard? Okay. I was sure. I was seeing that and I was thinking, uh, you know, Kenny on uh, my team, he used to work there. I should I should see if he's excited about it. Did he? Yeah, I've been, you know, they've been around a while. I just you know, I look for kind of interesting product news that isn't just the top three cloud providers. And, you know, Neo4j has been around a while as a graph database. Graph databases are cool. They've kind of gotten rolled into other things. Sometimes you'll see these multimodal databases that represent graph and key value and other stuff like that. But Neo4j is alive and kicking. They kind of kicked up this newer kind of graphing platform. And again, I just like seeing some of these smaller database providers, whether them or Mongo or others, not just uh kind of rolling over just because Oracle or Microsoft or others add these capabilities to their products, they still think they can offer best of breed. And I think that's a cool example. So if we have customers interested in things like this, they should let us know to see if we should get them into our marketplace. Mm, That's a good point. And nothing sounds cooler than a graph database, except maybe like machine learning. Yeah, you're going to be a you're going to be hot this year at Thanksgiving, aren't you? Just dropping like graph database and yeah. GitHub stars. You're going to be big. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking I've I've been in 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 well, I don't know, we'll see. In in such a uh I feel positive steady state people keep I I run into them, they keep asking me what's new and I have to say like, well, it's pretty much the same as last time. Which uh, I, I need to work on that for my Thanksgiving game. Come up with some new uh, exciting stuff. I can tell them I ate grub worms in China. That'll be a good. That'll blow a good twenty minutes of conversation while we're waiting for the turkey. Yeah, that'd be saw a deer today. That that's a highlight. There's a, a lot of things happening for you right now. <laughs> it's another thrilling life. Well, speaking of a lot of things happening, two guests. So uh, we we had you on. I've I've been I've been excited for this topic for quite some time to talk about uh, concourse and, and how it's going and what it does and how it sort of fits into the overall scheme of uh, uh, making my life more exciting. So first of all, thanks for being on. Why, why don't you, why don't you, uh, what, why don't you give us like an introduction of what, uh, what concourse is like, what it gets used for. Yeah. Um, thanks for having us. So uh, concourse is, we jokingly call it the continuous thing doer. Um, it's very much a CI CD that was born out of Pivotal's cloud native journey and in, in building out a PaaS that was worthy of like sitting on uh, enterprises and in multi in a multi cloud environment. And first and foremost, um, you know, it, it it comes with a lot of unique innovations that make continuous integration delivery in an enterprise and in a cloud native environment that much better and that much easier and that much more powerful. And it comes down to three kind of core tenets, the declarative configuration. So no faffing around with a UI. Um, Everything you need uh, is defined in your pipeline. um, And that's codified in your GitHub repository or whatever your code management system of choice. And that's a lifesaver, right? So if your system goes down, there's no, oh, I got to remember to install that plugin. Where's the license file for this? Everything's in a single place where you put your code, you set your pipeline, and off you go. The other big innovation with Concourse has been um, its reliance on containerization for consistent execution. So uh, a lot of engineers can relate to, you know, messing around with configurations and flaky builds and uh, trying to get their pipelines cleaned up after an execution. You don't have to deal with a lot of that with Concourse. We built it from the ground up. 
uh, with that kind of uh, stability and consistency in mind. And we, we take a lot of advantage of containerization to do that. And finally, uh, because we don't rely so much on the UI to configure pipelines, we say we make a lot more use of the UI to uh, be an information radiator. So every time you walk around a Pivotal Labs office, every TV you see has that concourse pipeline emitting key information about the status of a project, how it's performing, and you know, is there any fires that you need to stop, drop, and roll for? Mm. So, so I think in in that context, and I don't really. I'm kind of fishing for something here, but like, it feels like uh, builds and and build pipelines are historically fraught with terribleness, <laughs> right? Like, like you spend a yeah. lot of effort on them, and and the results are always weird and things. And they're, I mean, part of why because it's a extremely critical part of the whole uh, process. I mean, it's 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 good to have your software run by building it and testing it. And so, and you you kind of hit upon this, but I mean, I. Like, what about containerizing things kind of like addresses some of that fraughtness? Like, how does that how does that help out beyond like uh, using VMs or using really like, you know, strict puppet and chef things or whatever? Like, how does a container improve the uh, the difficulties? Yeah, so containers are a pretty neat innovation because they're just so lightweight and easy to generate, create, and destroy. So with containers, what we do is say, like, hey, this thing that is traditionally flaky, it's flaky a lot of times because um, you have to make sure the things that you need to run your tests are there, and also you have to make sure that it cleans up properly after itself. By specifying containers, we can say, hey, we've pre-baked a certain amount, uh, like the things that you require for your test. So you can just grab uh, a Docker image that has Go and the dependencies that you need, pull that down from the cloud, know for a fact that your test can run with the dependencies there. And then um, once you're done, we just nuke it, we just destroy it. And then every time we want it, we can create a new one. So Mm. because of that um, life cycle, it becomes a lot cleaner, a lot more consistent and a lot more reliable. Makes you, sense. Get this, you get this benefit of a lot of these really powerful, awesome tools that are in like the entire like DevOps um, and app ops space is this idea of like things like you mentioned, like Ansible, Chef, Bosch, um, Terraform, which is a really cool one. Um, you, you get all these really powerful tools that end up needing their own kind of like dead man switch type of thing, which is like go up and kind of clean up after themselves. And like they're independently, they're all very, very powerful tools to do one thing very well. Um, and, and unfortunately, or I guess fortunately for us in Concourse, these <laughs> things normally need to be used one after another in certain, some sort of predictable order. And we get that kind of that layer of obfuscation in which this can all happen. Now, obviously, you still have the problem of a dead man switch for Concourse, but uh, one area of failure is considerably better than, say, six or seven. Right, right. So, so you have sort of like the lightweightness, which and I think here, it's also so. So here you have the lightweightness of containers. To here, it seems like. Tell me if I'm wrong, but a fair amount of it translates to if you can do everything really fast, then um, it's better. In in the sense of bringing something up and bringing it down, and versus like if it would take several minutes even to like bring up a part of like I don't know a fifty part system. As as that as a failure happens there, something screwy, it just adds in a time. Whereas if you have a much faster cycle, you might still have errors, but you discover them really quickly and you can fix them and, and all of that stuff. Plus, 
maybe it's just more reliable to build build up container things. And then you add to that to like all the various things for like a cloud native e, which is to say a distributed application, uh, running all the stuff that that you need to bring a, a cluster like that up and coordinate everything. There's lots of good little uh, best of breed applications in their own silos, but having a way to orchestrate all that stuff, not to mention having them clean up after themselves. I mean, it sounds like they're like my four-year-old daughter and son who can <laughs> clean up after themselves, but you got to have to have something that's orchestrating uh, all of those various steps in building out your, your dev and your staging and then eventually your production cloud. Exactly. And I think it's important to highlight the fact that at Pivotal, we believe in TDD like wholeheartedly, right? We don't have a QA department. We codify all of our experiences, our testing, and our acceptance into our suite of tests and now our pipelines. And uh, the containerization aspect allows us to do that because we run into a lot of issues where, well, given a piece of code, how do I test that it runs on Azure? GCP, um, AWS, vSphere, and, you know, all these other combinations in a consistent way using a single VM. It's just, it's just very frustrating to do. So tapping into containerization with uh, cheap setups and teardowns makes it so much easier and so much more reliable. Yeah, I guess it can be like simply summarized, like um, adding consistently, consistency to, to things that inherently are inconsistent. Yeah, I mean, that's a nice way of thinking about it. So, Lyle, you told me a while back a little bit of the uh, origin story of some of this. I mean, you mentioned, like, James, I mean, there's a great ecosystem out there of DevOpsy, AppOps tooling. So why another one? Like, why, why did we build something that's now open source and gotten fairly popular? So revisionist history, what a great move. But at the time, like, where did this come from? Why did we go down this path? Well, I don't know. So James actually spends most of his days on all of his days with Alex Sirachi, who was one of the initial, um, it's like brainchilds of, uh, of Concourse. So I think he can better answer that one. Yeah, so um, it didn't start off as this grand idea of, hey, we need to build a new CI CD system. Right? It came out of us genuinely want to, wanting to apply our TDD principles into this very massive and interesting problem of building this platform as a service known, now known as uh, Pivotal Cloud Foundry. And over time, we ran into those issues that we talked about around how do we make um, this kind of pipeline of tests and build instructions to run consistently, automatically, and against all these uh, permutations and combinations. And I think we tried for a very, very long time to work with the tools that we had. And we basically ran into a wall where, you know, it's like, we, we got to try something else. We need, we, we're seeing all these technologies come around containerization. In fact, we're using it and incorporating it into Cloud Foundry. It's just silly that to not take advantage of those learnings and that knowledge to create a better system. So Alex and Chris Brown kind of worked on it on the side uh, as a side project um, over time. And it wasn't, again, it's not like, it's easy to think now, like, hey, it's awesome. It's it's super obvious to use and pivots love it. Um, they, they had the task of creating a system to win over uh, pivots. And that's not an easy task. Uh, we really like our tools and we really like our workflows. And so for them to build this tool and involve it and, and to get 
um, to convince more and more folks to adopt it and use it and understand it. And um, over time, it just became such a powerful tool that it, it has become an official project within Pivotal that um, is basically used in every corner of our offices. And I, I don't know what we would do without it. Um, we rely on it for automated testing, pulling in security patches, stem cell updates. I mean, you name it, it's probably codified into a concourse pipeline somewhere. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I know I love even uh, in Seattle, we've got concourse pipelines up on the walls from our, our Pivotal Labs teams. So you mentioned you know, some of the different scenarios that concourse gets used, stem cell updates, this and that. So I mean, I think that, again, when I would chat with, with you guys as we were getting down this path of productizing concourse a bit for our customers, and it sounds like we learned some things that maybe they weren't using it for apps as much as we thought. They were actually using it differently themselves. So can you tell us a little bit about Concourse for PCF and kind of this journey that made us think about CI, CD, not for just apps, but for platforms? Like where in the world did that come from? Yeah. So um, it came out of, um, I guess the, the big moment was in December and January of, I guess, 2016, 2017, when the Concourse Tile beta went out and we started getting this influx of issues from operators, which really surprised us because at that point we had the context of like, hey, our app developers love doing this. Um, we are sure that enterprise or our PCF customers would love using it too. And that's still the case, but it turns out that um, there's a set of people who love it even more than our PCF uh, app uh, developers, and that was the operators. and they found it as an incredible tool for uh, consistently and reliably setting up uh, PCF foundations, installing tiles, and applying updates automatically from PivNet um, because they too want to be uh, up to date with security patches and all the good things that we consistently push out through our PivNet and other distribution channels. And they uh, found that Concourse was one of the best ways to do that. And uh, shout out to Customer Zero who you know, experimented and kind of distributed those first pipelines that let operators do that. Um, it's because of them that it really surfaced this uh, incredible use case from the DevOps side that we basically saw as this is something that's really going to take off and we really need to cater towards these folks because at the end of the day, if the DevOps person signs off on Concourse, you can be sure that the application developer is going to have no problem getting authorization and encouragement to use that tool once they see the power from on high of uh, that artifact promotion process. Yeah, yeah. it's it's an interesting continuation of um, I don't know whatever to to retcon it whatever the SRE DevOpsy uh, soup has been in recent years. Like the idea that your your developers and your operations people should probably have a huge amount of overlap in the tools that they use which uh certainly not been the case in the past <laughs> but in in that as 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 I think you you're saying your your application developers would would use this tool and then your operations people would use the tool as well for their own platform so to speak the production that they run it's it's a uh, it seems like it seems like it's useful to consolidate down to uh the same tool and the method across across that divide well yeah, it's this theme of consistency right that keeps coming up which is like in an area that inherently forever, for many, many decades, has been inconsistent, which is like managing kind of infrastructure and everything else. Like we're now in this world where infrastructure is code and everything else is now a a thing that everyone wants to do. Um, like infrastructure as code isn't a new idea. It was now it's an idea that everyone can actually do. Um, 
And like the great thing about that is like the biggest areas that either operators have um, in terms of managing what gets to happen on their internal platform and what app developers need to go through in terms of like the governance of mainly like pushing your app to production. Um, and, and so much happens before someone or something gets to type CF push into a command line. And the nice thing that we're noticing with Concourse being used to kind of continuously, consistently do anything for you is that it gives this awesome layer to like the CISO individual and auditors and governance people within these enterprise companies to say, if you're using these pipelines or these set of pipelines, we know what's happening, we know it's consistent, and if it's not consistent, it fails. Um, and that causes us to fix something. And it helps these customers get past this, these kind of internal checkboxes and approvals they've made for themselves because they had to over the, the past many, many years. Um, and we can start optimizing and automating that journey to production, which faster feedback loops, more apps being pushed, and it means our customers get to make better applications faster for their customers. Yeah, but that ops change has to be fascinating, right? Of actually using tooling like this to update the base platform. So like I haven't seen too many places where you'd be updating, you know, the database platform or, you know, even some some of those components in this sort of rolling fashion. So did you get much pushback when you first started talking about this? Or were, were ops folks eager for a way to say, look, you're updating OSs, you know, maybe a dozen times a month. I'd love to not patch this stuff manually, especially without taking a maintenance window. What was the kind of reaction when you first started approaching this? I think that James's point, and he can correct me if I'm wrong, but so we have a team, internal team, Customer Zero, which is a marriage between our platform services team, so the ones who do the really hard work helping our customers get their platform stood up um, from absolute nothing. Um, and to be honest, I actually don't think R&D saw this. Uh, to, to what James was saying, we actually initially were making a tile for Concourse, which is a thing like an app that's installed within your deployed foundation. Um, the reason we chose not to do a tile was um, the management plane that you provide yourself by installing a concourse on a specific ops manager. You can no longer control the management plane of your many, many foundations. And it was actually that team that just by working really close with our customers and seeing the problems they're trying to solve ended up doing this. And we kind of just learned from them and adapted what that meant over time, um, which ultimately meant the first, I guess, quote unquote, service thing from <laughs> Pivotal that was not a tile, but supported as a Bosch release. Yeah, and I think it's a, it was a combination of uh, the operators screaming, hey, this is great. We really love this possibility of automation and me being able to have weekends and not worry about the state of my platform. But on the other hand, it's looking at the realities of what we were making and saying like, hey, this doesn't really help me. If it's a tile and a foundation, how does that help me operate against my other foundations. So um, it was this kind of conversation that we started with customers and our field team and customer zero around, okay, wh what's the right thing to do here? And uh, the right thing that we saw was, okay, let's go back to basics. Let's focus on um, meeting some of the operator needs for uh, concourse as a product that controls foundations uh, from a security and stability perspective, really kind of hardening that up and then putting a version of concourse out there that we could kind of put our 
put our full support behind and say, hey, use this to um, manage your foundations and we're really going to support you as you go on that journey towards being a fully automated self-updating platform thingy. Lots of thingies involved as always. <laughs> Continuously. <laughs> so, so speaking of, of thingies, could, can you give us an example of like for an application? Like, uh, so if I had a thingy that I wanted to, uh, to, to build and deploy and run through the whole pipeline, like what is, I mean, I mean, obviously it's all verbal, so you can't have any visuals, but like, uh, like what do I do? What does that look like? I mean, I'm assuming uh, that there's some YAML involved, right? Like, I mean, yeah, so, so, so what, what, what are the artifacts and what do I do and, and what's the process like? Just YAML. <laughs> YAML's all the way down. Um, so it starts off with uh, what we call like a three box pipeline, right? So it starts off with a single, with a YAML file that you describe your, your build, your test and your deploy actions. And, and so even that is kind of very powerful in the concourse world where, you know, you have to hook up your pipeline in your YAML file to uh, get repository. So, hey, it, it, instead of explicitly executing modes, you say, just watch this repository. Every time I do a change, just test it for me because, you know, we might not remember to, to execute those changes every time we commit. So mm. just watch this repository and feed it through these three stages. So that that's like the most basic Concourse 101, get up and running. Um, you are now continuously testing and delivering things. And then you can start adding in your complexity and automation to capture more use cases. Maybe your product um, needs to go against a security checker that your team, um, your DevOps team forces you to go through just to be compliant. So for example, um, it, we have OSL tooling, right, internally. And, and that's to check for open source licenses that to make sure we're using them correctly. So you can add another box that says, hey, um, maybe you need to put your code in a certain location or signal another uh, team to say, pull in my code. Um, we, we need to do a check. And once that passes, then proceed to deploy. And, and so the, the basic elements of Concourse go way beyond just, hey, uh, take this piece of code and test it. It's actually um, extended to what we call resources. So everything's a resource. We have um, things like, hey, watch this um, Bitbucket or watch this S3 repository. Every time a file changes, um, do something with it. So um, th there's, a, there's a very uh, basic but powerful language behind Concourse that allows you to really add complexity to, to relatively basic uh, pipelines. And and then and then so so let me see if if, if I can uh, rephrase it. So you have uh, you have some triggering events, right? Like something changes, and that means you need to like uh, recheck everything, <laughs> essentially. And and uh, you have those resources of like it's you know whether it's just like a, 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 a like a, a Git repo or or maybe even just some storage somewhere, and something's on there, and you sort of pull that in. And then I assume there's some sort of um, like from my understanding, like. So, so then you'll have like a container and I assume it gives it some configuration kind of like 12 factory style and and then it just like executes whatever that box is. And it, I, guess, I assume it has a good or a bad result, right? And then yeah. maybe it goes to the next part of the workflow to do something else. Uh, is, that, is that right so far? Exactly. Yeah. It, it can be as simple as that of just um, – and, and that's, the, that's the convenience factor of Concourse where you just need to specify the right Docker file, right? right? And Docker has such a large community around it where 
if you need something, it probably already exists. And if you don't, it's relatively easy to just roll your own. Even if you don't need something, it probably exists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think a really good way to simplify it, Cody, you're going towards there, which is like, um, if you have like a state machine, like really, what ends up happening is whether you're a developer, um, platform engineer, or anything, like normally those people know the inputs that they want to have. Um, and what's going to trigger like that black box, that state machine to happen. Um, and all they really know is the ultimate output they want. So more simply put, if I'm not a developer, I know I need to put my bits um, onto something like a, like a GitHub or a Bitbucket or whatever else. And then a bunch of things are going to happen that I may or may not care about depending on what it is. But the eventual output is my app is in the hands of users. Um, and like the strength of Concourse and all its resources is really being able to do all that stuff in the middle um, for however enterprise like grow and adopt and change. Uh, one of the things you brought up before was the question around um, not just the easy solutions, but where customers are going with the more difficult um, and harder challenges. And we're seeing as more customers adopt microservices, um, which is great, with that becomes the complexity of maintaining the architecture of your actual containers deployment. Um, and you have these apps of apps. So you have the, the final application that, say, we all use for, say, on Amazon.com or whatever else is actually made up of hundreds of separate different applications. Um, and we need to manage, like, which one of them are deployed in which order and how does it get there? And if this one goes down, what does it mean for this one? Um, and the strength that we're starting to uncover the concourse is what other partners and people can we find in the space to help us solve these problems together? Like, as your as you build these very complex applications, you get to the need of release management, which is like, oh, like maybe your entire pipeline takes 18 hours to finish. So you have to figure out what kind of deployment topology do I want to use, like rolling or canary or even like rollback, roll forward type of thing um, when you're trying to stage these apps of apps. And then you get to the challenge that James bring up in terms of like policy management. So if my three VPs need to approve this thing before CF push can finally happen, how do we take that off the hands of the of the app developer and all they know is, I don't know, it goes in the black box and eventually gets CF pushed um, and find a way to actually make that happen consistently. Mm. Right, right. And that, that brings back the aspect of like uh, it's 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 not it's not at all just like a development stage thing. Like it reaches all the intent is for it to reach all the way to production as as I mean, I guess as you would want the most highfalutin definition of a pipeline to be right. It's not right. the uh, it's not the wagile fall stuff of like uh, we can make our golden images as fast as you want, but it takes three months to deploy them. Right. So, so, and and so so I'm assuming uh, you know what I should do is just go read the documentation. But as I like to say, here we are. Uh, I'm assuming there's like a set of common services that that are available in the black box, right? Like here is the uh, request the configuration that you want, and here's like here's how you pass some kind of state between each of the boxes in there and things like that. I mean, is that, is that accurate that there's some like common support services in there? So we, we do bake in a lot of uh, resources with concourse and that's mostly to make internally out of the box because a lot of folks don't have access. They run their concourse in a firewalled environment, so they mm. can't really right. tap into Docker as freely as possible. Um, so one of the things we had to do before we could become Concourse for PCF was to give folks the ability to uh, pre-bake 
uh, Docker images and have them referenced uh, offline with uh, access to Docker Hub. Um, so, so that's one aspect of it. And another aspect that we're really trying to improve on is kind of the day one experience of, hey, like we hear a lot about these three box pipelines or we hear a lot about these integration points with um, these typical services and stories. Like, can you give me some uh, reference points and some pointers and examples? Right. And now short of paying us on Slack, we don't really have a scalable, consistent way of uh, socializing uh, that information. So one of the first steps we've really taken is to commit to a concourse engineering blog that really tries to dive into some of the core mechanics of concourse and the typical patterns that we've ended up recommending and seeing uh, both around the office and within the community. All right. No, that makes sense. Yeah. It, it reminds me, like, I always figured there's... Uh probably thousands of applications that are the, uh, the, the, the sort of descendants of the spring music and the, the old J2E pet shop app, right? Like you, you need some template to start with. I don't know what they have in .NET world. Wasn't it, what was the database name, Richard? Like w wind river or something? A good, that's close. Northwind. Northwind. Well done. There you go. Yeah. 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 I mean, would you, uh, so I mean with that, what do you think of the spring cloud pipeline stuff? I was reading the new docs again this morning and that seems like some nice canonical examples opinionated, but of how you would take a concourse pipeline and take an app through the various stages and smoke tests and you know blue green sort of stuff has that helped you think humanize some of the more complex aspects of a deployment pipeline yeah absolutely and we've worked closely with the author and i feel bad i can't remember his name or not i think it's marson yeah marson but we can't marson. say the last name good luck with that one yeah. there's like no there's like four k's yeah. and a couple of v's but Marson in the spring team. Yeah. So we, we, we've had conversations with him and we, we uh, I it first started as like a collaboration of, hey, uh, Concourse team, we've made these pipelines. What do you think? How can we improve? Um, so it started off that way. And then it ended up being something that I've relied on consistently to as a recommendation to a lot of our spring users to say, hey, if you're interested in Concourse and really changing how you want to do continuous integration delivery, that's one of the pipelines I sent to them. And I think one of the great things that uh, they did with the pipeline was to actually do a Jenkins version and a Concourse version. So a lot of folks get to see side by side what the what the differences are and, and kind of like understand at least the general concepts of continuous integration and delivery um, and then let them kind of decide what they need to do um, uh, on their journey, right? To see, you know, are they ready for that level of automation and, and really kind of understand what we think a full-blown pipeline might look like and then they can choose uh, what to incorporate. And that probably ties into the power of Conquest, right? Because it's just a bunch of code, it's readable, it's something that they can like add and remove from it, freely modify. Yeah, like we benefit by having um, what might be one of the most complicated app teams that would be at like an enterprise uh, customer site, which is the Spring team, seeing all the problems they're tackling and having to face by trying to constant package up um, a very quickly growing, constantly growing um, like Spring framework and Spring applications. Um, we've been working them really closely. I know Skipper, which is a tool that was recently just uh, baited or launched by Mark Pollock in the, the Spring team, um, is helping Spring solve their release management problems. So in this, in this challenge where I have this app, it's made up of 12 other apps, I need 
app one, two, three, and four to be up, running, and healthy before you can do four, five, and six. And then if like six rolls back, how do I like recover and everything else? So um, I know some we're looking at there is a, a resource for concourse to make sure that you can use Skipper. Um, and as we continue to find these very complicated um, application architectures, making sure we're exploring uh, different partnerships. Um, there's a few we're exploring right now with policy management with some of like, the larger business process management tools that our customers are using. And these will just kind of strengthen the ecosystem of concourse and, and everything else um, and making sure that we're doing it in a way that we can also partner with others who and leverage like their very powerful tools. Yeah. Now that's great. So I've got one last question for you. So as you look at this, uh, both of you kind of keep looking at this landscape and looking at how people and what our customers are trying to do continuously. Do you see any things emerging? I mean, specifically, I'm thinking about those sort of things you mentioned, Skipper, and we think about even Spring Cloud Dataflow and these more non-traditional assets. It's not just an application code and a binary. It's kind of a, a system of sorts. So as we think about databases, as you think about these other components, do you see those really getting roped more into a CI, CD pipeline? Are tools going to have to adjust? What are you thinking about the uh, the next couple of years of CI, CD? I'll go first, Jim. Yeah, so I see two aspects to it. One is kind of the payload. What you mentioned is what what are people really interested in continuously deploying? And a lot of it is this idea of, you know, um, folks are adopting this microservice strategy. Uh, there are apps of apps. How, how do we make it easier for folks to track and redeploy and really create tools and techniques to help with that automation? And the second thing that we're really excited about is how to incorporate um, more um, kind of information radiation around uh, workflow efficiency. So more analytics and data around your performance of the pipeline, how well you've been doing, how consistent is your execution. Um, not not in flakes, but more uh, how are you trending over time? Are you doing better? Are you doing worse? And I think those are kind of the tools that will really help people understand the value and reap the rewards of, um, of CICD to really understand now that I have all this automation in place, maybe I can start uh, figure out where to improve my processes and where to uh, find bottlenecks, remove them, and uh, improve the overall kind of experience. Yeah, that would be awesome if you had some sort of, uh, I don't know, hybrid like software meatware value stream map that was always uh, updated. I guess it'd be hard to bring in like the meatware-y stuff at some point. <laughs> it, 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 w- it would be nice to have 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 that end-to-end view of everything and i mean going all the way back to our uh, github star thing right like have have a good uh, a good heuristic if you will that was telling you if things were uh, good or bad <laughs> or or somewhere where you might need to look into investigate some more but yeah that, that that'd be fun stuff all right well, yeah. well thanks for being on this episode this is good um you'll have to send us a um uh, a link to the uh, the the sort of like side by side of of a, of a Jenkins versus a concourse thing because I think that would be very interesting to see. Um, but uh, if if people want to uh, check out more concourse stuff, where should they uh, go look? Uh, Concourse.ci and our Slack channel. Oh yeah, and how about y'all self? Where where do y'all scurry around on the internet? Um, I'm at pi over pi on Twitter. Mm. I'm at what is it? Freakstyle on Twitter. I should probably redo that one. F-R-E-K-S-T-I-L-E. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's pretty good. It's, so what, what is pi over pi zero or is that some magic math thing? 
it's a bit of a it's a bit of a joke uh, from my university days where I was trying to answer some uh, smart computer theory question and I answered with pi over pi, but we all know that's just zero. Yeah, or a delicious dessert that uh, you know you can, you can double up on. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know what? Maybe you put a pumpkin pie over a cobbler and see what you get with that. That, that seems like a good good solution. All right. Well, well, as always, this has been Pivotal Conversations. If you want to get the latest episodes and browse our back catalog, if you're looking for a way to spend uh, the winter time in the tunnels enjoying your takeaway cortada, uh, you can go to soundcloud.com slash Pivotal Conversations. And, you know, obviously you should just subscribe to this. Whether you listen to it or not, we don't really care. It's just nice that you download it. It would be good to listen to it, I guess. Uh, and if, if uh, you know, if, if you're interested in more of this stuff, you can check out the show notes. We post them more or less about every Thursday if you go to pivotal.io slash podcast. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye.